Good morning. Good morning. I tell you what, it is cold outside this morning, which is such a big difference from that crazy weather we had a few days ago, right? But I'm glad and thankful to be warm and toasty in here with you all. And it is the second week of Advent, so we are going to pause this morning. I'm going to invite my good friend Larry to join me up here, and he is going to lead us in our reading this morning. So don't forget, we're going to have, Larry, I'm going to have you come stand right over here. We're going to have the reader part, and then you and I will follow along um, with the response. All right? Thank you, Pastor Nicole. (laughs) Today we light the candle of peace, not as a denial of the places in our world and lives that lack peace, but as a reminder of our call to peace, even in the midst of turmoil. May the light of peace be a reminder to seek peace in our hearts, lives, and the world. We know that the path toward peace isn't easy. The path toward peace isn't smooth. The path toward peace is risky, takes courage, and challenges the broken realities of the world. May we learn to be courageous peacemakers in our world. For peace to come, we must get to the hard work of aligning a world made crooked by sin with the straight paths of the kingdom of God. For peace to come, There is creative work that makes valleys of despair into mountaintops of hope. For peace to come, there is repetitive work that sands away injustice to bring about the smoothness of equity. Without the work, without the challenge, and without upsetting the status quo, peace will not come. We join the Holy Spirit in actively seeking peace in the world around us. We remember that Christ came as the Prince of Peace, but we also long for the day when Christ will return and we see the fulfillment of true peace in the world around us. May the promise of peace ignite us to action that the world around us may truly know the peace of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. All right, friends, would you join me in prayer as we prepare to worship this morning? Heavenly Father, we pause and we invite you to fill this space. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Make your presence known in this place. Lord, we fix our eyes on you this morning. We worship you, God. We worship you, Lord Jesus, King of kings and truly our Prince of Peace. Lord, I pray that you would draw near to us as we intentionally drown out distractions, and draw near to you. Lord, we love you, and we worship your name this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 I'm going to read this passage we've been referencing from Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Peace. 
Christmas song, so I hope you guys will follow along with us as we sing this song about peace. Behold the star of Bethlehem, the word of God has become flesh, done to
Amen. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this profound reminder this morning that you, O oh God, are our peace. And Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this reminder that when you entered into this world on that holy, sacred night, that the peace that the world had been longing for, it had come and that peace was realized. Lord, I love to be reminded and I love to picture the images of those who came and, and saw this birth and saw this baby and somehow just recognized that, that with the holy radiance of this child that there was something especially peaceful about this baby, that this was the peace that we had been longing for. And so as we pause to recognize that that is what we are celebrating during this time, Lord, we also stand in this tension where we long for peace to come each day. And Lord, we know that as flawed human beings, that we are searching for peace, we are searching for fulfillment, and a lot of times we are searching for that in all the wrong places. That that peace that we're looking for, may we realize this morning that it's not going to come through packages being shared and opened. That peace is not going to come in that promotion. That peace might not come through that relationship. That peace is not going to come through worldly security. But God, may we recognize this morning that that peace can only be found in you. Lord Jesus, you are our peace. And God, I, I know and I sense that there are people in this place that are just needing that peace and that comfort this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you draw near, comfort those who need that comfort this morning, and would you, Lord Jesus, be our peace. Whatever it is that we might find ourselves facing this week, for some it's been a long, stressful, hard week. Whatever we might be facing, may we find peace and rest and comfort in your presence, Lord. And may we be able to find it within us to say, that because of Jesus and the peace that he gives, it is well with my soul. Lord, we give you a moment and we give you space to just draw near to us and comfort us in the ways we need to be comforted. Lord Jesus, would you come and draw near? Speak to our hearts, Lord.
Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for that peace that you give us. And even if we don't experience that peace in this moment, we are trusting and believing that that peace will come, that we will somehow find that in you. Lord, we love you. We love you and we praise your holy name this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you remain standing as we read our passage this morning in Luke chapter 3? We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Triconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, here we are, week two of the season of Advent. Uh, Just a reminder, last week we talked about hope. We heard a great word from Bo on hope um, and that hope that we have. And this week we are talking about peace, as you've probably gathered from our candle reading and lighting this morning. This is the week of peace. And I just want to acknowledge that as we lean into the rhythms of the season of Advent, We find ourselves reading passages that might seem a little odd for the season of Christmas, right? These are Advent passages, but but sometimes in our minds, we're just thinking of Christmas, and that brings to mind just those classic, cozy Christmas moments or Christmas passages that just give us the warm and fuzzy feelings. You know what I'm talking about? And I find that, that for some who aren't familiar with the rhythms of Advent and kind of what the focus is and what the intention is, you might read a passage like this and think, well, that's not very cozy. That's not an iconic Christmas text, right? If you were thinking about like the greatest hits, the greatest hits of, of Christmas passages, what passages come to mind? One of them is probably Luke chapter 2, right? The glorious birth, the shepherds, the angels, that brings to mind those cozy Christmas feelings, and that's probably at the top of our Christmas hits list, right? But not Luke chapter 3. This seems to, to, if anything, put a damper on those cozy Christmas vibes, Right, Because this is not a cozy Christmas passage. This one is, is a passage of wilderness 
It's a passage of desert, and it's a passage of, of barrenness. That's what we read in this text, and it's likely to put a little bit of a damper on your cozy Christmas vibe if you're not careful, if you're not really thinking about it. But while that might be true, and while you might have those feelings, and we'll just acknowledge that, I want us to acknowledge that this is a passage of preparation. Prepare the way for the Lord. This is a passage of of preparation, and the season of Advent is one of anticipation and preparation. And so we are reminded of that as we look at this text and as we see those themes of preparation in this passage. Maybe some of you are familiar with the rhythms of Advent and you're, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm not surprised at this passage. However, maybe you're surprised that this passage is one that we read on the week of peace. Because I remember three years ago, I preached on this passage, but it was on the week of hope. And so on the Christian calendar, it fell on the week where we were talking about hope. And this year, we're talking about peace. And so maybe you're just wondering, I'm not seeing, I see the Advent themes here, but I'm not seeing the peace themes here. Because again, at first glance, this doesn't feel like a very peaceful passage. It doesn't bring to mind those images of peace. I mean, we don't exactly get a lot of peace as we read about John, who is described as this wild man who lives in and has just emerged from the wilderness of all places. And he's wearing strange clothes, and his diet consists of things like locusts and honey. I- I'm on board with the honey part, especially if it's, if it's Hill Farms honey, right? Sorry, Pete, you're not even in here to appreciate that, but I'm on board with the honey part but the locust? No, you lost me at locust. But this is, this is where John is, is, this is his diet. And he's, we don't read this in this passage, but if you keep reading, he's angrily yelling at people to repent and calling them things like a brood of snakes or a brood of vipers. That doesn't really bring to mind peaceful images, does it? And yet... Here we are. I didn't misread the week's chosen text for for the second week of Advent, the week of peace. This is our passage for this day. This is where we find ourselves. We have this passage written by Luke, and he's telling the story, telling the story of John and the words that he's proclaiming. And you might notice that he's borrowing a, a piece of Isaiah 40. Did that feel familiar to you? What, that, the part of that passage we read, this part where he says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all, God's, all people will see God's salvation. This is borrowed from Isaiah chapter 40. And if we go back to give you a little bit of of backstory here, if we were to go back and read this for the first time in the book of Isaiah, you're going to find this passage situated in a transitional moment for Israel. When Israel, having spent years in exile, years of chaos, of turmoil, of, of hopelessness and despair in exile, they are now being gathered and comforted. Isaiah 40 is a passage of comfort. With Isaiah 40 comes the arrival of relief and help 
and comfort, reminding Israel, hold on, take comfort, don't despair, something's coming, all things are going to be made right. I don't want us to miss that this moment marked by Isaiah 40 is a hopeful moment for Israel. See, we get those hopeful themes still. We won't, we won't dismiss those. This is a hopeful moment for Israel. And with this passage is a glimmer of hope that seems to promise that brighter, peaceful days are ahead. And I wonder... It's just speculation, but I wonder if there's a connection to be made between this moment in Israel's history, Isaiah 40, and marked by, and then repeated by Luke with this moment with John. I wonder if there is a connection here for us to make. And I wonder this morning if it's this idea or proclamation of repentance, because we certainly don't want to miss John's message John's message that he is bringing, that he is declaring, is one of baptism and repentance. Because repentance was and is necessary. I know we don't like to hear that. Especially those of us, maybe, who have been Christians for a long, long time. And we just, we tend to get in the patterns and the habits of feeling like, I'm a pretty good person I'm doing a pretty good job with this holiness thing, and I'm a pretty solid Christian and have been for a long time. And I just want to say again, even to those of us, repentance was and is necessary. It was necessary for a pre-exilic Israel, pre-Isaiah 40. You're going to read lots of language of judgment, judgment that came on Israel because they rebelled against God. Israel was in covenant with God. You remember this. We've talked about this just recently. Israel was God's people They were God's people and he was their God and they were in a covenant relationship, but they rebelled against God and they got to this unhealthy place where they had no regard for God, no regard for neighbor. It was all about themselves and what pleased themselves in the moment and they just did whatever felt good in the moment. And repentance was necessary for Israel's salvation to come. They had to acknowledge and confess and repent, and that's the message that John is reminding us of. That's the message that Luke is reminding us of. This idea, see, there was a radical part to John's message, but this idea of baptism was not what was so radical because baptism was not a new concept for the original listeners of John's message because those who were to be converted to Judaism, they would have been baptized. That was a normal part of, of, their, of their way of living when there was converts, when, there, when conversion t- took place. And so that was not the unfamiliar radical concept of John's message. But what was radical, what shook people a little bit was this message that was declared and proclaimed along with being baptized, with repentance. Repentance was this part of the message that may have been a little bit radical because this message of repentance was one that said You need to live and walk in a new way. 
Long gone are the old ways of living when you thought you were something special just because of, of which family you were born into or which line you were born into. But you are to be a new people. You have a new purpose. And along with repentance comes a new way of living. This, this original language that we read with repentance is, is one of reversal. There should be a reversal that takes place. This means a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of living. We change the way we live. We reverse. We reorient ourselves to Jesus. And this reorienting of one's life that John's talking about, this reorienting, this reversal, this repentance, it's going to make a way for peace. Peace will be possible. Peace won't just be a dream. Peace won't just be some pie in the sky. Oh, we long for peace, but we're never going to see peace. And oh, we want peace to come, but it just doesn't feel possible. But I think along with John's message is because of your repentance and your reversing or changing direction, peace can come. Peace can be realized and peace can be possible. This repentance, this new way of living that John is preaching about, and this, this new way of living that Jesus is going to embody, that Jesus is going to preach about, this would make peace not only possible, but realized. And that is good news. That is good news. But the way this seems, the way this happens seems odd at first glance. Because if you stick with the passage and you're like, okay, we're trying to find peace here, but, but then we read the language like every valley shall be filled in and mountain and hill is going to be made low and the crooked road shall become straight and the rough way smooth. So are you saying that peace is coming in way of an earthquake? Because that's kind of what that reminds us of, Right. Things are being shifted and shaken, and, and it's kind of unsettling, and, and that brings to mind images of maybe an earthquake. That doesn't sound very peaceful. I think an earthquake is kind of the opposite of, of peace. It's chaotic. It's disruptive. And is that what we're saying, that it's coming in the way of an earthquake? Things are being shaken up. I, and I don't know about you, but I don't think about peace when I think about being refined, when I think about refinery, that doesn't exactly bring peaceful images coming. That doesn't bring images of peace in my mind. And yet that's what we get from verse 5. Something that is rough is being smoothed out or refined. See, at first glance, these are not images of peace. These aren't images that bring us peace. We don't feel very peaceful when we read these things. But I think these images are a good reminder that the kingdom of God is not breaking through with gentleness. Just the very language of the kingdom of God is breaking in, it implies language of things are going to be shaken up. Things are going to be disturbed a little bit. This language reminds us that with the kingdom of God comes force and power and movement, and God is doing something big God is doing something radical. That is how the kingdom of God is breaking in. It's not breaking in passively or quietly or gently, but it's breaking in with force. See, in making a way for the Lord, if we're going to be people 
who, like John says, are going to make a way for the Lord, sin must be realized, must be acknowledged, confessed, and removed. And that is not always a smooth, pretty process, is it? It's just not. We don't have to pretend like it is because it's not a smooth, pretty process. It certainly wasn't a smooth, pretty process for Israel, was it? They went through quite a bit in acknowledging and realizing their sin. It wasn't a pretty process for those in John's day. They had to address some ugly things about themselves. And it's certainly not a pretty process for us today. As I look at myself and acknowledge the sin that is there or the behaviors that are there, it's not a pretty smooth process to realize, acknowledge, confess, and repent of our sin. But you see, this leveling, this straightening of a path, this smoothing out that we're reading about, this takes place when we, you and I, both collectively and individually, when we have been refined, when we've been shaken up, when we have repented and when we have turned in the other direction, the way of King Jesus. Are you with me? Do you recognize that sometimes in order to acknowledge the sinful behaviors in us and around us, that it's going to shake things up? It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pleasant. And at first, it might not be very peaceful. And this looks different for everyone. I can't stand up here and address how this is going to look like for each and every one of you. That's for you and the Lord to figure out. This is going to look different for everyone. And we're going to kind of take a sneak peek into next week's passage that picks up in verse 7. And I'm just going to give you a little clue that John is going to kind of explain what this looks like for some people that he's talking to. It's going to look like, he says, basically stop hoarding things and share with those around you who are in need. That's what it looks like. He's going to address the tax collectors and he's going to say, stop cheating and being dishonest with people for your own personal gain. He's going to address the soldiers and those with power and he's going to say, stop harassing people and, and, and act in a way that helps people realize their worth, not question it. That's what it's going to look like to, to bring peace and to make a way for peace. So in other words... We could say that peace on earth comes when tax collectors stop cheating and stealing for their own personal gain. Peace on earth comes and is realized when those in power stop extorting and dehumanizing. Peace on earth comes and is realized when the alcoholic puts down the bottle and gets help. Peace on earth is, it happens and is realized when the angry parent seeks professional help because their destructive behaviors are going to harm their children and their future of living this whole and fulfilled life. Peace on earth looks like and is realized when a city looks at the homeless problem that they have and says, oh, well, we don't want to address that. We don't want them in our backyard. We're just going to pretend that they don't exist and instead just acknowledge them and see them for who they are, people who maybe just need some help and some love and they need to be seen as human beings. Peace on earth comes and is realized each time we take a moment to listen to someone else, to listen to their heart, whether you think you're going to agree with it or not, to listen to their story, whether you agree with it or not, or whether you like it or not, but just listening, taking a moment to see a person and to really listen, to hear them. 
Peace on earth comes and is realized when a grandmother faithfully hits her knees every night and prays for her family and for her neighbors to see Jesus. Peace on earth comes and is realized when we don't complain about problems but do something about it without wanting recognition, like washing graffiti off of a a building or something and just doing it because it's the right thing to do instead of complaining about it. You see, peace, we could go on and on, right? Peace comes and is realized in the hard everyday moments of working to help others see their value and worth. Peace comes and is realized when you and I, when we humble ourselves, when we lower ourselves, when we work to level the playing field, when we notice the sin in our own lives and in our communities, and when we confess and repent, determined to go the opposite way, following the ways of Jesus, when we walk in humility and love, seeking to make peace everywhere we go, seeking to level the playing field in everything we do, and seeking to smooth out paths everywhere we turn. A kingdom of peace is one that moves in action toward others, looking out for their best interests over our own. And this type of peace can be and often is a hard, painful process. It takes sacrifice. It takes repentance and a complete reorientation of one's life. And I don't want to overlook the implications of verse 1 and 2. We haven't really acknowledged or addressed that yet, and I don't want to miss the implications that verse 1 and 2 have not only for this moment, but for us as well. Luke sets the stage at the very beginning of this passage by describing the current political powers that are at play, right? So you have the emperor, you have the governor, you have the local political leaders, and you have the religious high priests of that day because they play a part in this as well. And the reason that's important is because we shouldn't forget that in this moment, Israel is still kind of situated in a political upheaval, in this time of political upheaval. You could probably say that they still feel like they're in a political exile, if you will. They're they're under this looming threat of the Roman government, and they ache, and they long for a savior. And John says, the time has come. The time is now. But as we talked about a few weeks ago on Christ the King Sunday, it doesn't happen in the way they expected, right? It doesn't happen. Jesus didn't come to satisfy the political appetite. He actually upset it. He kind of made it worse, really, if you think about it. And I just wonder, can we relate to this on some level? We can be honest, right? Can we relate to this on some level? I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of ways in which this is not the same. We're in a much different context in a lot of ways. But I just wonder if we can relate to this on some level. That we too find ourselves in a time of political upheaval. Political unrest. And Christians, I think, let's just be honest. It doesn't have to be pretty. Let's just be honest that Christians, we find ourselves at times feeling like we are in exile. Do you feel that? Do you feel that when you look at the world around you, you're just like, I don't fit in here. And at one time, the environment was favorable for me, and now it does not seem to be so favorable. I feel like I'm in exile. Let's don't rush past that, but let's slow down and kind of pay attention that that scares us. 
For Christians who feel like they look around and we're no longer this Christian nation, I hear this a lot. I hear a lot of language of this. A lot of Christians are lamenting that we're no longer in a Christian nation. We're in a post-Christian culture, a post-Christian context, and that scares us. If we're honest, that scares some of us. And I think we need to acknowledge and address that that fear can make us angry. And it can make us feel like all we want to do is remove ourselves from the situation rather than get in and shake things up and get involved in, and I don't know, look for what God is doing, right? Because I don't want us to forget. I don't want us to get so scared and confused and angry that we lose sight of what God is doing in and around us. Do you just need to be reminded this morning? Have you forgotten that the kingdom of God is still at hand? The kingdom of God is still at hand. God is still renewing and working and redeeming. Have we forgotten that scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail? We don't have to fear We can take heart knowing that peace is possible, that peace can be realized, but it's going to mean that we have to get to work. We have work to do. And let us not forget who's at the the bottom of that list that Luke mentions. Emperor, governor, local political leaders, uh, religious high priests of that day, and then John the Baptist, straight out of the wilderness. John the Baptist, son of Zechariah. Okay, is that supposed to mean something? Once again, we are reminded that the kingdom of God is not entering in through the political center, but from a different place, from a wilderness place. The kingdom of God is not entering through those with power and affluence, but through a prophet who wears weird clothes and eats weird things and who has very little clout. And let us not forget that the Messiah himself entered in a very unordinary or or ordinary, normal, unspectacular way. Because the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, this kingdom of peace work that you and I are called to, will be one that enters through ordinary people like you and me. We are called to this work of repenting and being transformed that we might participate in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of peace, and in the world around us. Church, I don't want you to miss this. You, are, you and I are invited into this peacemaking and peacekeeping. You and I are invited to participate in preparing the way for the Lord. Do you realize that? You! You are called to participate in preparing a way for the Lord. So my question for you is, how are you doing that? How are we doing that? How are we as a faith community making a way and preparing the way for the Lord? How are we as a faith community making straight paths? How are we filling in valleys? How are we lowering mountains? How are we as a faith community making crooked roads straight and roughing or smoothing out the rough roads? 
How are you participating in making a way for the Lord? I'm going to invite the praise team to, to, to come back up and to join me. And as they come, I don't want to paint a false picture for us. Uh, Larry read this earlier as we were following along in the candle reading, the candle lighting reading. He, he read this, that peacemaking is not an easy task. Uh, do me a favor and think of something peaceful. Think of something peaceful. And then this may not work for every example, but I want you to try to then think of what possibly took place to make it possible. For instance, like one thing I thought of this week when I was thinking about this was peace between nations, the rare times we see that happen. And I think about that leading up to this peace between nations, there was a lot of unrest probably. There was a lot of, of strife. There was a lot of conflict before we came to a peaceful place. Think about people you have in your lives that you see them and you just think that their relationship is just so great and you just wish that you had a relationship like that. It just seems to be filled with peace and and love and joy. And then I want you to think about the work that probably had to take place for them to get there. Think about like the hours of counseling that may have taken place and the just bringing up all the ugly and the messy to the surface so they could address it and acknowledge it and get to a peaceful place. Let's think about the most popular, one of the most popular images that comes to mind when you're thinking about peace. Because there's almost nothing more peaceful than watching a newborn baby sleep. I mean, does it get any better than that? <laughs> Do we recognize peace on earth in any way more than when we're watching a newborn baby sleep. But after being a parent of a newborn baby, do you want to know what I think of when I think of a newborn baby sleeping peacefully? I think of probably the horrible night that the parents had the night before where that baby just would not stop. And it just would not calm down. And the parents had to work to try to comfort and, 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 and soothe this baby when for whatever reason it just wouldn't stop crying until finally they just can't do it anymore. (laughs) It takes forever to get to that point, but eventually they just can't do it anymore and they give up. And then it's peaceful. Peacemaking is hard work. And I think it's worth reading again what we read this morning in in the candlelight reading. The path toward peace is not easy. The path toward peace is not always smooth. The path toward peace is risky. It takes courage and it challenges the very evident broken realities in our world. For peace to come, we must get to the hard work of aligning a world made crooked by sin with the straight paths of the kingdom of God. For peace to come, there is creative work that makes valleys of despair into mountains of hope. For peace to come, there is repetitive work that stands away in justice to bring about the smoothness of equity. Without the work, without a challenge, and without upsetting the status quo, peace will not come. So what does peace look for? What does peacemaking look like for us in this moment? As we sing this song in response, would you just ask the Lord to show you and to remind you what it looks like for us to be people of peace.
seated. I'm glad we sang that second verse again because I do love the connection and I don't know if you caught it but there's a connection there with joy and I just think that there's something beautiful about recognizing that to get to that moment where we can sing out joyfully together we got to work for that peace. We have to work so that our brother recognizes and acknowledges that peace is possible and that we're willing to do the hard work to, to make reconciliation happen. And then can joy be experienced truly. So this morning as we prepare for, uh, to receive communion together, I want to make sure everybody has communion elements. If not, raise your hand and we will get those to you. Friends, we're reminded this morning that while we are waiting while we are anticipating, we work. We work to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And we work to see peace in our lives and we work to see peace in the lives of those around us. We work so that the world might know that ultimate peace does not come from leaders in our world, not from the kingdoms and powers of this world, but from the very heart of God. And so we intentionally gather around this table, and once again, through the mystery of this sacrament, we draw strength from our Lord, the only one who can fill us, help us to live this way we've been called to live. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless these sacraments to our bodies and bless our bodies for your service, Lord. Fill us and renew us so that we can go out into the world and pour ourselves out for peace. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, take this, eat in remembrance of me. So may we take and eat and be thankful this morning. And in the same way, after dinner, after supper, he took the cup and he gave it and he said, this is the blood, my blood that is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So this morning we take and we drink and we are thankful. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I want to remind you this morning, I've Sometimes I wish that we had a literal table that we could circle around. So just take a moment and look around the room. Look around the room at your brothers and sisters in Christ who are around this table. That is a reminder, friends, that we are not alone. And that's a reminder that this peacemaking and keeping is hard work, but we do it together. Amen? Amen. Well, let me share just a few quick announcements with you before we dismiss this morning. Next Saturday, December 11th, um, at 10 a.m., we're going to have a baby shower for Emily Meads, um, and that's going to be here at the church, and that's going to be a brunch. Um, Emily is registered. You can find all this in your bulletin, by the way. Uh, She's registered at babylist.com. This says babysit.com. I think it was autocorrected, but it's babylist.com, and I'm really proud that I didn't say babysit.com at first. Um, But if you are planning to come, ladies, would you let us know, let Karen know, let the office know at some point, um, just so we know how many to prepare for. And then next Sunday, December 12th, we're going to have our Christmas uh, lunch together for the BFCN family. That's going to be at noon. If you haven't signed up for that and let us know how many are coming, go ahead and do that. You can sign up in the foyer. Um, And I want to share with you some great news this morning. We collected, you collected, 61 gift cards for Restore Network. So great job. Give yourselves a hand. There was a moment where we were wondering if we were going to get there, but then it changed really quickly, and we, you went above and beyond. So great job. Uh, we just wanted to share that good news for you. Um, we also need people to sign up to bring a dessert for the lunch next Sunday. Is that right, Karen? So we need to sign up in the foyer. Um, so if you're able to bring a dessert for that, would you let us know um, so that we can all share in that together? And then finally, for those of you who are in town and you don't have any other plans, uh, we want to invite you to our Christmas Eve service on uh, Saturday, no, Friday, December 24th, sorry, uh, at 6 p.m. We're going to have a, a candlelight Christmas Eve service here. All right, well, I'm going to invite you all to stand this morning. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that you would make and work for peace in your lives this week. Go in his grace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.